Hey folks, my name's Andy Sido, and I'm a musician, songwriter, producer, podcaster, living in Denver, Colorado. Welcome back to the show. This is Middle Class Rockstar. My guest this week is Washington-based songwriter, musician, singer, and producer, Brian Reynolds, who goes under the pseudonym Seven Pound Thesaurus. Welcome back. It's so great to be in my fifth season. This is the third episode, episode 103 in total. After the six-month break, I have renewed energy. I really love doing this, and and I really thank you for listening um, and, and allowing me to keep to keep doing the interviews. It's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. So thank you. Brian and I met at the Durango Songwriters Expo in uh, Ventura back in February, and we hit it off right away. I loved his voice and and his song that he performed in the showcase on the first night of the expo, and I also was performing on the first night of the expo, so when he got off stage, I said, hey man, uh, will you sing harmonies with me? Because your voice would sound great um, on this tune, and I'd love it, so he did, and we hit it off. We hung out all weekend. We wrote a couple songs together at the end of the weekend with some other wonderful songwriters, and then the two of us have, have since written a song over Zoom as well. Uh, Brian releases uh, a lot of his music on Patreon. Uh, there's a link to his Patreon. It's Seven Pound Thesaurus, but there's a link to his Patreon in the show notes. So if you want to support, you can do so for as little as $2 a month, and you can hear a lot of his music. He doesn't. He does put stuff out on streaming platforms, but not everything. There's a lot of other stuff that uh, he just puts on his Patreon. And he is not an artist who's going around touring. Brian is very much in the creation of the song. He's he's passionate about writing uh, lyrics, he's, uh, progressions, producing, and getting the track ready for whatever it might be. He writes for other artists. He writes for placement. Um, he, he writes for whatever it is. And something we chat about in the episode, too, is not everything he writes is for uh, Seven Pound Thesaurus, the artist. It, it can be something way different because that's in his world. That's what it is a lot of times. And so it's really cool to hear his perspective and his, uh, you know, his thoughts and just chat with him about what he's passionate about. And along with all the music that he does um, in his in co- he does co-writing all over the place and, and produces in his home studio. And along with all that, he also paints houses during the summer. There are so many musicians. I would say most of us do something else as well to help support um, our family or, or whatever it is, our, our lifestyle, our life. And um, a lot of people are really, really great at what they do in music. And Brian's one of those people. And it's really, really, really tough to make all of your income from it. So we chat about that as well, what it's like having a day job and the balance between the two, uh, making sure that you're able to make what you need to make, but also put the energy that you need to into your craft. So wonderful conversation, um, and I think you'll enjoy it. So before we jump in, quick thanks to our sponsor, Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, visit narratorrf.com. If you'd like to support this podcast in a completely free way, please give it a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. It just takes a second, and it's greatly appreciated. If you'd like to support in a monetary way, Go to patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. I put up artist stuff. I put up podcast stuff. I put up thoughts. And uh, you can support there for as little as $3 a month. So for $5, you can uh, support both of us monthly. Awesome. All right, let's jump in. If you've ever done a guitar lesson on Zoom, it's no. always funny to me because this it's good for the student, right? If you're like, okay, here's the thing, play along with it. But then when the student starts playing back, it's like, ooh, that sounds terrible. Even if they don't sound terrible, which most of the time they do. <laughs> which most of the time. I was, um, I was supposed to write with, actually with Abby. I was supposed to write with Abby Posner in L.A. And she had to cancel... Yeah. Um, 
she had to we probably probably shouldn't put this in the back but she had to cancel our le- uh, cancel our session so that she could write or do some lessons and I said well yeah. tell your tell your students they suck and she said oh, well that's what I do I said well how would they get any better if you didn't <laughs> boom and it's out there to the world yeah it's just like that and Abby was Abby was on the podcast not very long ago I know I know that's, it was a great great interview she's she's cool she's she's killer she's good yeah. people yeah um Anyway, so for our listeners who have no idea what we're talking about, we're talking about the logistics of Zoom. But let's <laughs> jump in. This is uh, Brian Reynolds, also known as Seven Pound Thesaurus. Um, my my guest last week as well, Evermore Nest, is a solo artist who goes by a three word name, and. I like Seven Pound Thesaurus a lot. I think it's really cool. My one issue is that I just learned how to spell Thesaurus yesterday when I was looking <laughs> you up on Spotify. I think the the key is to think about it as a dinosaur and it's the Saurus. It's like the dinosaur. The it's like the Saurus of all Sauruses. Well it's just the fact that there's an A in there. Which it should be obvious to anyone who's past fifth grade, but um, if you're looking up the word thesaurus, you should know how to spell it. I feel like if you're if you're going to be using a thesaurus, you should know how to spell. Actually, my my. Dad... Well, I wasn't using a thesaurus. I was just trying to use you, <laughs> use your music. That's a really good point. My dad, when when we were kids, would never help us spell anything. He would like, hey, hey, dad, how do you spell a pineapple? He'd say D I C T I O N A R Y. Which also, to use a dictionary, that's not a great way to figure out how to spell, because you have to know how to spell. Like, how do you find psychiatrist? I, I know, I know. Well, you check the S section. Exactly. Right? That's where you yeah. start. And and uh, and I don't think that that would get you very far. Yeah. Although I'm a terrible speller because I use phonetics, which, you know, don't really make sense. Which is exactly what this podcast is about. So we... Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's about whatever, about whatever, we <laughs> whatever <say>. happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so we we've got you know a few things to chat about. Um, let's kind of start off with how you first got into music. And I know you're in Washington now with your family. Um, where did you grow up, and and when did you first start getting into music? Uh, when I was uh, three or four, I used to ask the piano lady at church every week if I could sing Jesus Loves Me in front of the church. So that's probably when I started. <laughs> so um, you've never had trouble being the center of attention? I think I've always craved it. I'm the youngest of four kids, and so it's just yeah. like, uh, hey, can you please listen to me for a second? So I would do these like terrible like Steve Urkel impressions when I was, you know, you know who Steve Urkel is. We're about the same age. You remember Steve Urkel? No. No, really? no idea who really? Steve Urkel is. No, yeah, really. Wow. Okay, well, he was from a TV show. I believe it's called Family Matters. You okay. should look it up. Anyways, um, and uh, <laughs> he was just this nerdy kid, so I'd take my mom's glasses and put the glasses on and pretend to be Steve Urkel. And, and sing Jesus Loves Me in front of the congregation. Yeah, or I'd do like, impressions of, of an old lady or... Uh, or, or sizzling bacon. Those are my, my go-to. So yeah, attention was, was always, always all about. And then, uh, it kind of bounced, like we moved a bit from, from age like, uh, eight to, to junior high school, basically lived in the Bay area, got, did like talent shows. That was when boys to men was big. So we, uh, we, there were four of us and, uh, we, I, I, I'm pretty sure we lip synced it. Uh, boys to men tune. Uh, yeah, I don't think it was all make love to you because that would have been awkward for fourth grade boys to be singing. But maybe we didn't know what that meant. Yeah, maybe it was yesterday. I Did don't you know. have older? Was it older brothers or older sisters? I had two older brothers and an older sister. Okay. I still have them actually. I've yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. They're still older too. I I presume. Yeah, they're much older than me, and they'll never be the same age as me. I'll never be the same age as them. I just like to remind them of that, that they're older than me. Well, how much, how much older are they? Uh, I've, my, they're not much older, actually. So my oldest my sister, who is the oldest, is seven, seven and a half years older than me. And then my brother, uh, my one brother is like four and a half and the other is three and a half or it's three and a half and two and a half They're, we're all within seven years of each other so not too per, too far but far enough that they didn't like me hanging out with them you know right right no no fair enough continue continue what you're saying i'm sorry i was just curious about that 
Um, what was I saying? Uh, you oh. were talking about uh, fourth graders making love, I think. <laughs> I was, in fact, talking about fourth, ra- fourth graders not knowing what making love meant. And then... Uh, so by, by, by the time I was in sixth grade, then I started doing tons of choirs and stuff like that. But I was mostly doing that because... So in sixth grade, the ride I took to school... Um, the guy who gave me a ride, his name was Corey Hansen. He lived across the street, and he went to choir at like 6 a.m. before school started. And so I um, really wanted to... I needed a ride to school because it's t- better than walking. And um, and I had to be there early with him. And then I was like, well, I might as well just go sing in the choir. Otherwise, I'll be sitting out here until school starts. Um, and then I enjoyed it. And then I found out like the, the jazz choir, they... They got to um, they got to go to Disneyland, and so I was like, "Let me get into that group." And then get to go to Disneyland. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I kind of. Oh wow. I kind of bamboozled my way into jazz choir. Well, I don't know if I. The director says she discovered me, which doesn't make any sense because there's nothing that's really come of my career worth discovering. But um, I really just forced my way into the group because I wanted to go to Disneyland. Is how I remember it. Um. Just like that, you were a musician. Oops, sorry, one second. What'd you say? I said, and just like that, you were a musician. <laughs> and just like that, and then in, like, in high school, I start, I just like, I started, I taught myself piano in, in between seventh and eighth grade, and then was in jazz band in freshman year, and then, yeah, then I, by the end of senior year, I was in like fourteen different performing groups in that school. It wasn't a magnet school, but there's just tons of stuff, and then. Uh, this is a really long origin story, much longer, not, probably still not the question that you asked, but um, the, basically I, I, I worked in churches for a long time, about 15 years, and um, the way I got into songwriting is um, I, was engaged, I was engaged to be married in 2006, and the woman I was engaged to called it off a couple months before the wedding, which in um, church speak is like uh, God... We thought, you know, God was calling us, or I thought that God was, you know, calling us into this marriage, but then apparently not because we didn't get married. So then I was like, well, what would I do if I could do anything? And I was like, well, I guess I'd write songs. So, well, so, so to back up a little bit, um, the, the engagement that, that went awry was this someone that you met through the church? Yeah. I mean, how, how, okay. Yeah. We both, we both went to the same church, and we both did music together, and uh, so we were, you know, on the same page about a lot of stuff, and so then it was, you know, it made sense that we were together for, like, our, our the world, world, the vision I had for my life at that time, and then when that didn't work out, the, the, the marriage didn't work out, then it was like, oh... Well, maybe the rest of the vision isn't the same either. So it's like, what would I do if I wanted to do anything? It's like, oh, I think I would write songs. So then I just kind of ling- I went to this like songwriting um, boot camp thing at a, at a, a local um, music conference, Christian music conference here. And you submit a couple songs and then you have a couple of industry, industry people critique the song. And Scott Crepain, who we've written with, is the one who critiqued yeah. the song, and that was in 2006, yeah. so I don't know how many years it was, but a long time ago. Sure. And he's like, oh, this is a great song. I wish I had written this chorus. I'm like, wait, what? And so afterwards, <laughs> I went up and talked to him. I'm like, what do you what, what do you mean? Do you actually like it? He's like, yeah, I, I really like it. And he's like, I'd love to hear more stuff. I was like, well, I don't have any more stuff. <laughs> he's like, well, you need to write more songs. <laughs> so then, then I started writing a ton at that point, and then... Uh, he would just give feedback every once in a while. You know, he, he was he's always great about returning, but has it had has and had a busy life at that time. Um, and so um, sometimes it take a couple weeks. And then at one point we were having uh, lunch, and he he read one of the lyrics I'd written. He's like, "Hey, do you have a melody for this?" And I did have a melody for it, but I was like, "Yes, but I'm not like stuck to it." <laughs> he's like, "Well, can you, can I write a melody to it and cut this on?" Like. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can absolutely do that. Uh, and it was a church, like a worship song, a church song. Um, and then then after that, we started writing actually in the same room together. And then I just kind of became, I just started to write a bunch at that point. 
um, and also started a band uh, shortly after that with a friend of mine named David that was called Waiting on David because David was always late. And then... This sounds like Waiting on David is either a punk band or a Christian band. I know. I mean, just by the name of the band. Yeah, but the name of the band is just because David was late. Is why. Right. Um, yeah, for sure. rehearsals and <laughs> and for everything. Uh, and it was actually a name that he came, he, he came up with with a previous band. And then, because he was also late for those rehearsals, of course. Um but then we we used it for that band, and then there was this was in the days of MySpace. Do you remember MySpace? Yeah, yes, I had a MySpace in in high school, and um, yeah, I don't I, I don't even know if it's a real website anymore. But yes, uh, I had a MySpace. Well, we were looking for we were like there was this band called Waiting for David, and I think they were a punk rock band actually, and they. <laughs> Everybody kept calling us like we'd do a show and they were like, here's Waiting for David. And you're like, that's not the name of the band. And it was just always not right. And so then we had to find a different band name. And in the process of that, we came up with a new band name, which is Late Night Transit. Anyways, played in that one for a long time. Um, well, and we did one album together, which is only available on Apple Music. And we get paid nothing for because our distributor is no longer a record it, label. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh Anyhow, so then, then, then I started my own thing because they all had kids. And writing, when you just started writing, and um, Scott Crepane says he likes your writing and and stays in touch with you. I mean, that has to be a huge encouragement when you're when you're just getting started writing your own songs, right? Yeah, it was super encouraging. In, in fact, what was I mean? I'd written maybe four songs at the time. The the. So there are two people. It was Scott Crepane and a publisher from Brentwood Benson who both heard it. And the way that this was set up is one person takes the song home and listens to it and does like a full review of it, which Scott was the one who took mine. And the other, the publisher, heard it just on on the day. Um, and he was like, hey, if I heard this, I'd want to hear more from you. I'd want you to send me more songs and I'd want to stay in touch with you. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I went and talked to him afterwards. And you never know with those things if people are just being kind or if they actually mean what they're saying. <laughs> It's like, sure, yeah. it's like, if you don't know, yeah. And so, so then, uh, then I talked to him afterwards and actually he and I were chatting and he's like, well, what do you, what do you, you know, do you have a lot more stuff? I was like, no, I don't have any more stuff. And I said, well, I really need somebody to mentor me. And Scott lives up here. Um, and he was actually putting his keyboard away from the session and he goes, and so I was talking with this, this publisher, I think, I think his name was Tim. Um, I don't remember his last name. Uh, but he, he, he goes, well, you need someone to, you know, to maybe help mentor you. And I was like, yeah, maybe somebody who's like tall and plays piano. And, and, and then he goes, well, and has red hair. And Scott's kind of like listening with one ear because it's only the three of us in the room. And, uh, and I was like, and his name is Scott Crepane. <laughs> Scott goes, what? Uh, and he's, he's just, you know, he's the nicest guy on the planet anyways. Um, and then he came over, he's like, yeah, you know, here, here's a card, let's, let's hang out more. And that whole conference, it was like the first day of a longer conference, we just ended up hanging out the whole time, um, playing ping pong at Tim's booth in like the, you know, the whatever area of the, you know, conferences that are where people have their stuff, you know. Um, yeah. So yes, it was super encouraging, and it made me write a lot more. Because um, he's like, you could do this for a living if you want. I was like, what? And that was... In was the, that not on your radar at all at this point? Was this just a coping mechanism for a, a girl that broke your heart? Well, interestingly enough, there weren't any songs about her at that point. It was, it was just like... Um, I had written four songs. They were all Christian songs. Uh, and stuff that I kind of played at the church, but not really. But just because it was songs to write... And I think I had I I loved songs for a really long time, and I was like, ah, I can't write like that. So, why even try? And then when somebody's like, oh, you could write some more songs, and I'm like, wait, really? So it wasn't really on my radar. It was like something that uh, different people did was write songs and write good songs. It wasn't something that I could have done. Um, um, and then at that conference, I was like, I think it was a Chris uh, Chris Tomlin concert, and I was like, I guess he's just a guy who didn't write songs until he did and now he has a career writing songs maybe i could be a guy who didn't write songs until i do and i can make a career out of it 
didn't little did I know that that was like a few years before streaming started and the the bottom fell out of <laughs> being a songwriter as a profession. <laughs> but but yeah. uh, you know that was that became a, a new a new goal and since that time I've been trying to figure out how to write more songs, um, in every in every way I could. So it's been a it's been about trying to find a way to make an income that also allows me to the time and energy and space it takes to write songs. Well, it's something I I think. Uh, is worth chatting about too uh, with your career in particular is you do have another job um, so many musicians do have another job um, you are a painter um, not you paint houses right and that's maybe a really cool thing that it's kind of a seasonal I mean I assume it's a seasonal job right yeah for the most uh, part yeah in it's Washington. mostly a summertime thing yeah yeah so maybe that's a really neat thing is that you've got this steady income in the summer and then you have no choice but to write in the winter i mean how do you how do you balance the two the the challenge is you know i i write now for more like sync opportunities which is like film and tv stuff or or advertising stuff and some of that world so it's great it is great to because it's it's really hard to work you know a full day and then come home in the studio um and and actually make anything because you're just kind of worn out um so that's that would be a challenge if i was painting year round Uh, but because it is seasonal uh and it's it's enough money in the summer to and you know with our whole household income i'm you know my wife has a great job and we have a kid and and we have a we we had super fortunate to have bought our house when it it was much cheaper because we couldn't afford to live in it now um, and so we kind of keep our overhead as low as we possibly can to, to, to be able to, to do that kind of, you know, dual season or t- two, two seasons, seasons of painting and season of, 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 of writing. So that's super fortunate. The challenge becomes, um, you know, the sync world is a lot about like staying, staying in front of people's, uh, staying on people's radar, supervisors or publishers, you, you want, you know they're looking for a song that they need that sounds like what you do and they need it you know yesterday so they'll send emails out and if one if you miss a lot of those emails you don't send stuff back hey we need a song that sounds like um you know name the pop band and you you know do you have anything in your library that works for this we need it for an ad spot and we need to send it send it out in 30 minutes you're like one, I can't make it in 30 minutes but you know i have something in my library let me send it well if i'm on the ladder it's really hard to send that email um, and then it's really hard to stay in that call list of people when you're, when you kind of disappear for a few months. So that's a, just an obstacle that we're trying to figure out. My wife and I are trying to figure out how to navigate in a meaningful way. Um, but we're, we're working on it. It's, it's, you know, I try to get, I'm like, I was in LA last week. I'll be in LA in a couple of weeks again. I'll be in LA in February for Durango and writing sessions and meetings and trying to just kind of stay on people's radar. Um, what is a potential solution uh, for that? Well, I think one is to try and replace the income. Um, so there's, you know, Patreon is a way to try and replace some of the income that I get from yeah. painting. Um, it's it's also like trying to have, I mean, I work by myself and for myself. So like trying to have one day a week that I'm not doing stuff where maybe I can respond to emails and or kind of do networking type stuff. Um planning a trip or doing a conference in the summertime even though you know it's taken money time and money away from the summer or from summer income Um, but I think that ultimately it's just about lowering our overhead is what we're trying to do as a family uh, and spend more time doing music and not have to to shorten that season kind of year by year until it doesn't need to happen and you know anymore because uh, again in the sync world it's also about library Um, it's about having enough songs to answer those random emails and have something ready for people. Um, so that's kind of what I've been doing the last couple of years, just building library, writing songs and trying to produce them as quick as you can so that you can um, have something that's good and, and feels good and that you like and that you enjoy, but then also something that um, that will work for, for film and TV and advertising. And I, and I sorry, about your like, musicians have to have two you know kind of they they, a lot of musicians have to have a side gig you know and i think 
I've realized too, you know, we've talked about Scott and Scott does kids music and he's a brilliant at it and he makes his living doing that kids music and advertising, but he also has creative stuff that he would rather spend his energy doing. And I'm, you yeah. know, I, I think there are people who are like, I'm on tour so I can pay the bills, but I'd rather sit home and write songs or I sit home and write songs, but I can't. So like there, you know, there's this niche that you find a way to make money doing something. And sometimes it's in the field and sometimes it's not. And then, there's also like, well, I wish I could make songs that sounded like art and I really enjoyed making more. So how do I get to that point? Um, right. And it's right. Sure. You know, there's a co- there's a compromise somewhere to, to make your income for most people. Exactly. Yeah. People. Yeah. It, it, no matter what the art, you know, it's not just musicians, but it's, you know, it's all, a lot of people would, you know, some people would rather be golfing all day, but they can't make an income at that. So they, right. they have a job. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really um, it's an interesting new new market with with um, and and a lot of it I don't I don't get in terms of social media and all that stuff. I'm just not I'm not uh, any good at it. <laughs> so I, so I don't I don't do a lot of it. But well, I, and there's I, some people that spend all their all their time on social media, right? And and uh, I I don't know. It's just everybody's doing different things now. You you've started talking about sync. Yeah. And. That's something interesting to jump into in general. I think to people that aren't musicians um, or that aren't artists, that's maybe a totally foreign world. It is to a lot of people that are musicians too. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't do a lot in the sync landscape myself. I but it's in, it's interesting. I was chatting with you before the interview when I'm looking when I was looking at your website. You go to a band's website, they've got a bio, they've got shows, they've got a press kit. You have your music and a very long, very hilarious explanation of how you ended up calling your band, your artist project, Seven Pound Thesaurus. And that's what your website is. There's no show tab, shows tab. Um, and You're a pop-up not... that says, become a patron. <laughs> and a pop-up, right, and a pop-up, in fact, that's at the very top of the page. Excuse me, it's the very first thing, is become a patron. So it just it just goes to show you how many different ways there are to do it, but you're not somebody who's out promoting live shows or even out doing cover gigs on Friday and Saturday night to, to pay the bills. You are in the sync world. Yeah. Um, your purpose is you're trying to get cuts from artists. You're trying to get your songs in film and television shows. And that's really a really interesting world. Why is it that you chose to go that direction instead of, um, you know, an artist direction, touring? I mean, what made you go in in this direction? Uh, You know, I have... A young family. My we've been we've been my wife and I've been married for ten years in a couple of weeks. It'll be ten years. But we have a three year old. Um, her name's Isla. She's amazing. My wife's name is Katie, so I'll refer to her as Katie from here on out instead of my wife. That sounds <laughs> um, fair. And, uh, Katie and Isla. Um, and you know, it's not a soup. There's not a lot of people I think who have figured out a healthy way to be on the road. And I think, especially building building a following, you know, you're playing venues for a couple hundred bucks a night and people will say oh dude you played for you played for an hour and you made 200 bucks and like yeah but i had to drive there i also had to get there four hours before anybody else you can't do anything for the rest of that day you're eating like garbage because you're on the road or if you're eating at all (laughs) you're probably drinking too much and staying up too late and not getting as much work done it's just not a it can be really unhealthy lifestyle and i think that is not what I would like to be spending my time doing. Not that I don't respect the the work of it and like um, building followings that way. I think it's um, it's admirable. It just doesn't work for what our family wants to be doing with our time, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, until it's something where it actually pays enough where we can go on the road as a family and, and do something. And, and, and I just don't think I could build a following on on that road now sometimes you can get a placement as an artist and that will kind of change the course of your career if you get something on a big show and it ends up oh people start paying attention to what you're doing now and now you can do a tour and you get people in all the places because they've heard your stuff um so there is a world in which i would do more artist stuff and there would be actual shows but it's not something that that i have the bandwidth to make um happen because i'd rather you know 
I love performing. I love being in front of people. I love playing songs. Um, but I actually realized I went to this um, the songwriters and it wasn't songwriters around. It was three like prolific writers who have written like huge country catalogs. You know, tons and tons of number ones. And they were just playing song that you've heard after song that you've heard, but that they wrote, but that Garth Brooks, you know performed and they did a bunch of garth brooks's early catalog I, their, their name escapes me at this moment but and uh one of the writers was talking about well i remember when garth was just getting started and we he was in our writing room and we were trying to figure out you know what we're going to write about and we started on this little jam and and she goes uh and we started singing this song and then uh he, and he and he says to me D couldn't you just picture a whole arena full of people singing this song and she's like this is before that was a thing for country music and she said you know she just kind of laughed it off. It's just this crazy idea from this young artist. Uh, and then she said, just last week, he sent me a video of him singing this song in an arena full of people. And I, <laughs> I you know, this was a room full of 100 people in L.A. that she was singing for. And I realized it's much more interesting. I would be much more interested in being in that room talking about how the song was made and telling that story than I would be in an arena full of people. So I think I really, really love the writing side of things more. Yeah. more. And I'd rather be in a room where I get to, to talk with people and interact with people than in a huge place. Not that that's what the choices are for me right now, but I think it's just what it's more interesting to me. So writing the song and, and producing the song and figuring out what it, you know, how to tell, you know, whether it's another artist's story or my own story or just somebody else's story, that's really, really interesting to me. Uh, and the creation not, over the presentation. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, those those guys in those big shows are doing. I mean, again, like I said, that's not been a, a proposition to me at this point to do those big shows. But you know, I, I guess it just talks about like, would I rather be a, a big time performer or a big time producer? And I'd rather be a big time producer or writer than than any of those things. So, I guess. What is it, I mean, what does an ideal career look like for you in terms of what types of placements are you getting? I mean, I, I know you probably watch TV or movies and say, oh, man, I could do that, or I, I wish I, that was my show. No. Um, I mean, what kinds of – what would be like the dream television show to be working on for you? I mean, I – I think I would really enjoy. This is maybe it sounds like a cop out, but I actually think I do like like the multi genre stuff. Like, I I've I've got so I think having lots you know lots of different types of placements would be more interesting to me than being like this is the sound that that Brian does and it works really great for Gray's Anatomy. So he's got ten cuts on Gray's this year. Although I would love to have ten cuts on Gray's because uh, it would. Are they still good. making stuff, by the way? I think I it's their know. last season. This this season coming wow, out. Wow! So they've had like twenty seasons or something. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, but but you know, and and I really enjoy writing with with young artists and producing with young artists and and like working through kind of how to tell complex stories in interesting ways and kind of how to deal with the modern like. Um, kind of the dilemmas of modern life <laughs> for through through a young person's like kind of give help help give them words to say what they're trying to say it's it's really interesting to me um yeah so so it, i think in terms of the dream situation the really the dream is just be able to make a living doing the music and not have to um not to paint you know this less last year i ladder fell out from under me while i was painting and i cut my my jaw open got stitches all over my mouth and my jaw and messed up my foot and my leg and it's it's not i mean it's i've been doing it for 15 years and it's the first time i've fallen on a ladder but it's just like my it body bound to happen at some point yeah and your, your body can't take it forever and it was it was just i was in, i was i did something foolish i used a ladder i shouldn't have done shouldn't have used for for something but it's just like i don't i don't you know it's hard on the body so uh you've recovered okay from that yeah 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 it's all back it's, it was it was your in, face looks I, fine well, thank you. That's why the beard. Well, the beard helps give me a chin, but then it also does cover up the stitches, which is great. Uh. Or the scars. Um, but yeah, and then you know, there's this great line from a, a show I stolen. It's like, you know, writing songs makes my brain light up. So like that's mm. that's a much more um, compelling thing. And probably if we were all able to find those things that make our brains light light up, we might have fewer things like 
dementia and Alzheimer and, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it'd be. I, I'm not a. I'm a songwriter and a house painter, so I don't know if that's there's no science behind that, but, <laughs> yeah. but I wonder. Yeah, know? maybe there's something to that. Sure. Yeah. What are some what are some placements you've gotten? Whether it's a cut by a, another artist or something. I mean, anything. What are yeah. what's some stuff you've gotten? So early on in the CCM, contemporary Christian music world, like Scott cut a couple of things, which was good. It was big, you know, for me, especially early on. Um, and And then he and I wrote some stuff and... It got picked picked up by a gospel artist named Charles Billingsley, who's down in in the south, and 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 had a following at the time. I mean, this is fifteen years ago. Uh, and then uh, Cutlass, who is a was was a big um, Christian band at the time, cut one. Um, that was kind of the you know. It was when streaming really kicked in, and albums didn't really do much, and so. You know. In the in the '90s, if you got a cut on Cutlass's album, maybe even in the early 2000s before streaming really kicked in, the royalties on that, even just a cut on the album because they sold the whole album, that that could have been like 30 grand or something like that for that one cut on a big album. We were on a big artist's album because when they tour, they only sell albums. People don't stream their stuff, and every time an album gets sold, just having a song on that album, you get a piece of it. I think, sure. and 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 then, but. You know, the lifetime payout on that was like a thousand dollars, as opposed to thirty x. So if you're that, that was when it was clear that being a, a songwriter as just a writer and getting cuts on you know even some somewhat big artists doesn't doesn't pay enough to 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 not do it anymore. <laughs> and so um, that's that's kind of I was like, okay, well, I just I'll try to be a band, but then you know the band fell apart. Not didn't fall apart, just you know people had kids and nobody wanted to tour because we all had families that we wanted to stick around for. Um, and every, now that streaming's kind of a thing that people have figured out, you know, there's a hundred thousand songs going up every day on Spotify, and like we were just talking about before, you know, how long ago was it? Forty thousand songs a day, and now it's three times that almost that are yeah. going up every single day. Um, so really, the only the only revenue stream left that makes sense is the sync world, um, and it's fun because you're doing lots of different types of songs. You're doing lots of different genres. It's fun for me because of that, um, and it's just you know, I think do you know Caitlin Cannon from Drango? You know Caitlin, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, she was doing a lot of sync stuff, but she does all. She writes. She's, she's been on, she's been on the podcast. Oh, by the way, that's I, great. I forgot oh, that person. I want to watch that. Yeah. I want to listen to that episode. She yeah. she and I have written a bunch. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> we've been writing one song for four years. It's a very intense song, and we will finish this song. But every time we get together, we end up chatting instead of writing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a yeah. It's one of those ones that I think we're gonna we're gonna finish, and it'll be like, oh, that's a great song, but it's not there yet. Um, Anyhow, um, you know, I said, because we both really like kind of digging into some kind of crazy concepts and writing hard songs and having, you know, intense, intense lyrics, I think, is what we both really enjoy and being super clever and interesting and all that. And I said to her, well, like, how do you write for sync? And she says, well, I just think of it as a different sort of puzzle to solve. And I do a lot of crosswords, and so I was like, okay, it's kind of like the, the Monday crossword, which you want to finish in 15 minutes, rather than the Saturday one, which you kind of chew on for a few days and then figure out, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. And so once I thought of it that way and I didn't think of it as like a compromise artistically, um, it became really fun um, to try and write different stuff. I'm not To try, to, like to just take on different characters and different yeah. assignments yeah it's like how would i do this in a way that still feels good and feels fun and interesting um and also might be placed in something so like now when i write songs i think i think you and you and i've written a couple things together and it's like okay um what if um what if we, we let's just write a great song and then if at the end we're like oh if we change these couple of words it becomes now something that's syncable um or if we change this concept a tiny bit, it becomes singable. And if not, no problem. But if it's something that we can do a little bit of tweaking to, and it becomes something that's usable in film and TV or advertising, or the instrumental track can be interesting enough to be used in film and TV or advertising, then it's worthwhile. 
Um, yeah. So in the sync world, the answer to the sync world question, you know, I have a publisher that has probably 15 or 20 songs that are, they're pitching, but the sync world is, is really, uh, I haven't cracked the nut yet in terms of getting placements. I've, I've just, I'm just building a, a library and, uh, I, you know, I, I also didn't, I was, I wasn't a producer. I was more a top liner, which for the listeners who don't know what that is, a lot of times, you kind of have three roles and those roles can change around a lot. There's an artist who's, you know, going to be on the song and doing the stuff. There's a producer who's kind of figuring out how to, how to make it all sound like a song. And the top liner is kind of there to just make sure the song structure and the lyrics and everything, they kind of add that into the, into the session. Or sometimes in LA, it's really like, can be literally as like the producer gives you a track and then as a top liner, you write a lyric and melody on it. Um, and they're two totally, they're not even in the same room. Whereas the Nashville world is like everybody's usually in the same world, or in the same room figuring it out. Um, right. And anyhow, uh, so I was more of a top liner, but I live in Seattle, so I'm not in a lot of rooms with people anymore. You know, I, I, I would go make a trip, but then like I was in a room with a couple of people and it turns out everybody's top liners and I can play, you know, enough instruments to get a track out. So then I became more more production. And also it's like if you are in the volume world and you're waiting on somebody else to do a track, it can be a lot of waiting. So. Yeah. So if if I just take control, you know, take control of that process and like try to push it along, um, that's how I became more of a producer. And so that's been a bit of a learning curve on, you know, the, the especially on the mixing side, which is. I was going to ask you about that, uh, actually, kind of right as you went into production. So, you know, the role of the producer, right, is is you're making the track happen. You know, you're playing the sometimes playing the bass and the drums and the guitar and the piano and singing it or collecting tracks from all the people who are working on it. One person's playing the guitar part, one yeah. person's playing the keyboard part, one person's singing, then you got to send it to some of the harmonies. And it's sort of your job to put it all together, um, which can be a challenge. And uh, there's a huge learner's curve if, uh, if you're going to record things. Well, if you're going to record things at home in your basement, that could be in a television show. Yeah. Um, but that's what everyone's doing now. They're making right. great sounding songs in their in their basement or their garage or whatever. Um, how much of the process can you do at home? I mean, do you mix and master as well? Do you do it all? I do now. Uh, I'm getting faster at that. I have a uh, um, a guy I use to mix stuff named Mitch Kenny. He's amazing. He's done tons and tons of stuff. Um, and if, if the, if, if I need it done quicker or it has to be at a, uh, like if I want it for, sometimes if like, if I'm going to mix an album, then I'll send it, send it off to get mixed. But sometimes it's like, Hey, we need, you know, this summer I did a thing, you know, you do Christmas songs in the summer or holiday songs in the summer. So the publisher said, Hey, we need, we need some holiday songs. Can you get us something in the next week? Well, that's not enough turnaround time to make the thing. And then, and then have it mixed and get notes back and send it off. So I end up having to do the whole process at that point. Um, and that has made me a better mix engineer. Um, and, and in doing that, you know, again, for, for folks who don't know, like mixing engineers get paid a lot of money to sit and mix and they have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gear. And that is a profession that people spend dozens and dozens of years learning how to do just that one job. But, uh, you know, when you're the writer, the performer, you play the bass and drums, all that stuff, you're doing a lot of different jobs um, and trying to make them sound good. So it's it's that's partly why I'm terrible at social media, I think, is because the, the amount of time and energy and, and skill set it all, all takes. And then if you're doing any sort of film editing, and you're doing this at the podcast, you're doing all the audio editing and any sort of promotion you're doing it for, it, you, you know, it takes you. You're being you're asked to wear a lot of hats. I mean, yeah. you just touched on a really important point. You will never mix as well no. as somebody who spent 25 years just mixing. Right. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But you might be able to do it well enough that most people won't notice. Exactly. And, yeah. And and that's and that's crazy. It actually makes me feel bad for the mixing engineer. Yeah. In, you know, in some ways. <laughs> it does. Well, and here, it, for also for for people to realize, you know, of course, there's those films, there's those songs that are like the epic song at a montage at the end, you know, six six minute song at the end of a uh, of, of Grey's Anatomy or something like that. And those are a little more front and center. But there's also 
hey, we have this movie set in the 80s and we need a, a, you know, there's a dance club scene and we need five songs that will work in the back of this scene that people aren't really going to hear much of. That That's not to say, it still has to get to the point where people are like, I like this song and I want to put it in my movie. So it has to sound good at that point. But people aren't going to hear the a full mix in the, in the film. You know, they're not going to hear necessarily what you're full. It still needs to sound good, but it doesn't need to sound high fidelity, radio ready. You know, somebody's going to listen to it on a record player sort of, sort of good that a mixing engineer is so vital for like all the nuance in the track. And that's something that, you know, I send stuff to Mitch, who's my mixing engineer. If I have to, uh, if I have to do it myself, I'll be like, Hey dude, why is this not sounding right? What do I need to do? And he'd be like, Oh, you need to fix the phase. I'm like, Phase, Google, what's phase? <laughs> uh, um, you know, it's it's not to that level, but it, you know, it's it's just that has there has been a times where I'm like, what do you mean the phase is rough? Or I get I'll get mixed notes from somebody that I, a producer that I love and respect, and and then they'll be like, hey, if you try this at this frequency, and uh, you know, it's it's really getting feedback that like that makes you hear your mix differently. So I remember the first time I could hear saturation on a track, and be like. Oh, that's what that is. When somebody says I need more saturation, that's what they mean. And I, I remember what I can hear, like a mix that was too sharp, and at 5K, it's like messed up. So, yes, broad strokes I can mix well, but it doesn't always have to be like you said that high fidelity sort of, uh, sort of, sort of a track, sort of a thing. I've I've been thinking more and more lately about things that I want to outsource. Yeah. Um, because. I, I try to do everything, and, and like you said, I can't. And it is important to me to be good at social media or, or you know, or whatever. Yeah. So whatever it is. But I, I've been starting to think more and more because my mixing is very, very, very basic. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I've, I'm not a mix engineer. I, I keep thinking more and more like, man, maybe that is the thing that I always outsource. So, you, yeah. know, there's, you know, there's a couple things yeah. where... I don't do that because can you do it all? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it's, it's an interesting world we're in. There's, there's two other things I wanted to touch on. Um, one of them is conferences because you and I met at the Durango songwriters expo, uh, in Ventura last February, which was really cool. A lot of fun. We wrote a couple songs. Then we wrote a song afterwards. Um, what is your, what's your hot take? On conferences, they co- they they cost the artist money, um, but hopefully you're making great connections from it. I mean, they're they're selling you on incredible networking. What what's your hot take on on indie artists or pe- people in the industry going to conferences to try and uh, level up their career? I I think the the way that I look at Durango. I mean, I, I love the feedback sessions. They're, they can be good or great. The, the panels can be good or great. But the most important thing for me is the relationships. And partly, I live in Seattle, so I'm not in that world. But every, almost everybody I write with on a regular basis, I met at Durango. Um, and so that's one thing that's super valuable for us, finding collaborators. Because it's rare that you're going to be like in the room with, you know, name them, you know, Dua Lipa, and, or Dua Lipa, it's rare that you're going to be in that room, uh, but you might be in the room with the next Dua Lipa if you meet them at this conference. So there's like lots of artists that I've worked with on, from Durango, there's other collaborators who are doing sync stuff, that's where I learned about sync. So you, I, I learned, you know, also the very first conference I went to, and the very first song I pitched was just destroyed and it's just you know i don't i had no idea what i was doing pitching for anything there i just like oh here's my 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 most well-written song and i think this is in the this is in the the how i got my name thing you know the publisher's like oh this is world peace man we need a comic book like nobody's gonna listen you know we don't need it to be this complex it's just a song like just like dial back um and 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 tell a story and so that was invaluable and I think about it all the time um so that feedback can be really good and I, and I heard even at that first conference um Money Cat who does tons of sync stuff and they're they've been super involved in, in for a long time they said from the stage you know you listen to this feedback and the stuff that hurts the most is probably the stuff you should pay the most attention to <laughs> yeah. and and then say okay are they right are they not right and if they're if they're if you become more convinced that what you're doing is still right in spite of what they said, which can be the case, lean into it 
and sell them on it. And if it hurts and then you look at it a couple weeks later, you're like, okay, I can do that better. Uh, I'll do that. And I haven't rewritten that song yet. I intend to because I think it has, there's a lot of really great elements to it. Uh, but I think at the time I didn't have the skills to actually write the song that I wanted to write. So on, from that, from the critique side, it's super valuable. And then you get to a certain point where, at least for the, the songwriter show, the festival, or so, the, the songwriters uh, expo, I found that like, I don't need much critique now. I just need, I need to build the relationships. And so a lot of, I, I mean, I need, I need critique. That's not to say that people don't critique me, but, but it's, it's, for me, it's not about the listening sessions as much as it's about the relationships and the conversations that happen in the hallway or the, I mean, I think I, I write six or seven songs every Durango because I'm down there and then I'll, I'll stay for another three days after in LA and write, you know, six or seven or three or two or three more songs. Um, mm. So, so, you know, meeting you, I think we met, I, I did a showcase, came off the stage and then you said, Hey, do you want to sing with me? I'm, I'm like, sure. What, for, for, for what? You're like, well, I'm, I'm going to be up on stage and, you know, and a, and a few artists. I'm like, Oh, okay. So then we went to the hotel room and figured out. I liked your, I, I liked your voice. I thought this <laughs> is going to be perfect with, with the song I'm doing. So I'm going to go. I, did I ask or did I just let you know? I may have just let you know. That I was singing with you. <laughs> yes. So you, I think you said, hey, can you sing harmonies? I was like, yeah, I can sing harmonies. Okay, you, you're going to sing with me in a minute. I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and then, and then uh, you know, relationship blossomed out of that, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's what, so for me now, like it's really hard being a creator of any kind, whether it's, you know, so you really got to find people who can, you can you can bitch about it with and who know your know what you're bitching about because when you when you say to somebody oh this is hard making music and not getting paid for it and they're like yeah but you get to sit in your basement and just hang out on a fucking computer all day so stop bitching about it which is fair because you know for some people that's not the reality and I get that but when you're talking to another creator and you say that they're like yes I know and people don't understand how much work it is and so I remember walking into Durango the first night I'm like oh these are these are my people and I figured that out at you know 35 or 36 years old like these are the kind of people who are trying to do the same stuff as me and understand how hard it is and and also how rewarding it can be and uh, so I get a lot of energy from being there for that reason and Durango I haven't been to a lot of them, but Durango, I think, is pretty unique in the size it is. Everybody stays in the same hotel. And, um, yeah, it feels like summer camp for, for grown people who are all trying to write songs. So I love it for that reason. Uh, the, another yeah. thing that I've done that's really valuable is the sync camp from uh, Songwriter Camps. R R Richard Harris and Pam, Pam Shane put it on. and Yeah. That's a whole other thing, but it, it's taught me a lot about how to write for sync. So. Um, one other thing I want to touch on, you mentioned it a couple times, is is your Patreon. Um, and we live in a world where I think every musician has a Patreon. <laughs> we don't all contribute to it <coughs> yeah. often, you know. Uh, are you saying yourself or are you talking about me? I'm saying artists in <laughs> oh, general. Artists in general, general yeah. Like, like I'll, I'll, I'll post up two things in a month and then not post anything for four months or yeah, whatever, yeah. you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? I'm yeah. trying to be more consistent with it. But again, it's just one of those things where you're going to be good at TikTok, you're going to be yeah. good at Instagram, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be good at Patreon, you're going to learn how to mix, you're going to master, you're going to do your podcast. Right. The, at a certain point, it's all crazy and you got to, you know, you got to prioritize what you prioritize. Right. Um, but Patreon is a is more than a thing now. I mean, yeah. we, everyone's got a Patreon. Um, it's something that you put a lot of value in. It's the, it's the top thing on your website. Um, become a patron. What has, what's your goal with Patreon and what has it done for you up to this point? You know, I think initially, you know, well, you, you know, you peer people know what Patreon, Patreon is, you know, it's, it's the modern day Medici, right? It's like, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have Michelangelo without, without patrons. Uh, but those are wealthy patrons. So this gets spreads, spreads the wealth and, you know, needs a couple bucks per person. So I think that's really beautiful, especially given the world that we live in and, and where it's hard to, um, create new stuff from a financial standpoint. It's easier than ever to create new stuff and put it out. It's harder than ever to, to monetize it, um, even though there's lots of ways to monetize it. But um, 
well, maybe that's maybe that's not accurate. Even though there's lots of avenues for, to put stuff out, that not all of it is monetary. And so, I think, I think Patreon is unique for what I do because some of the stuff isn't isn't uh, Spotify playlist consumable because it's not a new pop or a chill or whatever track they want to put on their playlist. But it is interesting for some folks to to hear. Oh, you. You know I, what I do for each for for like the song posts is I, I, I publish the song, but then I'll put like rough versions of how it was, and sometimes I'll put the references for what you know the brief was looking for, and then I'll I'll talk about the writing process and who we wrote with and how it came about. So I think for those folks, for whom it's kind of interesting to hear some of the the back end of how this stuff comes into it, it means you watch film or television or advertising in a totally different way. Um, and so because I do maybe, you know, 25, I, you know, make 25 things every year, 25 new songs every year. I'm sorry, I write probably 50 every year and I, I, I finish and, and produce maybe 50 or maybe 25. Uh, it's a way to get all that stuff. You know, you every time you make something new, it feels like you make a baby. Right. And, uh, or you give birth, maybe is a better say than make a baby. But you want to release it. You want to yeah. You show people, something. people. Yeah. You know, you want it to be consumable, even if it's for a for a film that never it never got placed in. Uh, it was a lot of work to do, um, and none of that. Mo- it's rare, very, very rare that somebody says, "I need a song that sounds like this, and I'll pay you some money to do it." And so you know, we're making all. There's tons of people making movie for this or making music for sync stuff, not getting paid a dime to do it, and. Uh, and it's all there's tons of great mu- great music that's being u- being made for that stuff, and I think it's cool to put it out into the world. Um, and so for those people for whom that's interesting, and what I do is interesting, it's a really cool way to 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 release it into the world, because it's not necessarily like Spotify, or it could be another artist that's singing on it that's not going to be used for their artist project, and I did the production, or I was the top line. There's one thing I did in this last sync camp, I. It was for the Run the Jewels was the brief. Run the Jewels is a rap group from Atlanta. Uh, Killer Mike and uh, I think DJ Shadow is the is the other. The two of them do it together, and it's uh, this pretty. It's kind of uh, it's it's a hardcore core rap song, and they and they use that song. That song is used a lot for like bad boy films or not not bad boys the film but like you know like you know kids who are being bad or something like that and so the brief was like literally for a movie about i don't know if it was a sequel to that movie where the kids were being bad and the seth rogan movie but uh it that they, they needed a song like that for a lot of different stuff so we i rapped i got a whole verse of me rapping on the song and that may never make it into the world but it will make it onto my patreon and i think it's awesome and hilarious and fun to put it out there um and i think people will enjoy it once it does um so i think that's yeah. why patreon's a, a it's an interesting way for people to consume music that's kind of a little bit different than just kind of getting on and, and listening to a song in the background it's like this thing was made for this purpose by these people how did that come to be and like looking at it from that perspective is interesting so patreon's a, a way to have almost like a long form interaction with the song as opposed to just a three-minute interaction with a song. Yeah, oh, I, I, I love how you just put that. Um, well, I think that covers it all. Is there <laughs> any major things we left out? We, I think we covered your entire life and everything you're about musically in uh, roughly 50 minutes. Well, that's that sounds like a podcast episode. <laughs> you, should, so. you should publish it and put it in a podcast. I'll think about it. All right, well... Listen back. Maybe it's not that good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Smart. Right, right. Right. Well, I don't. I'm not going to listen back. Gonna, <laughs> so you don't gonna, have another hour. <laughs> we're going to use a. Uh, we're going to use a test audience. Uh, focus group. Yeah. Man, focus this is. Group. I didn't know you were so. Uh, when are we going to finish that song that we made? By the way. Oh, we have two. We have three. We have to finish. Yeah. Yeah. We have three. We have to start. I mean, the production on anyway. I've already started the holiday one. Every day is a oh, holiday you with you. That's, yeah. Man, that's a catchy song. Every day is a holiday with you. I, I always think about that, that line that Warren Sellers contributed uh, that like we thought the song was pretty much done, and then he said, 
I'll circle all the squares on my calendar. And I was like, oh, you bastard. Well, stop it now because – stop the podcast because I have a contention with how that came out. <laughs> That's not how it came about. But I'll, I'll, we, can, we can argue those semantics of that. Oh, that. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah maybe I, maybe <laughs> I should have given Warren someone was, else credit. Warren was the impetus for that whole – whole bridge happening and it was yeah it did need it and it, it's better for having it yeah yeah absolutely well hey thanks for hey i'll hit i stay on the line with me all right but uh in in front of our audience thanks so much for taking the time to chat and um wish you all the best all right buddy you too thanks all right thanks brian appreciate you thanks for taking the time once again seven pound thesaurus is on patreon if you'd like to support him on there. And um, yeah, I guess that's it. I look forward to chatting with you next Thursday. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.